Hello, I'm Jackson. Welcome to Trashbacked Ratio. Uh, this episode was plagued with audio issues and technical bugs. Plagued, I say. Uh, a pox upon your podcast, uh, said some Shakespeare character. Shit, I've forgotten. I don't know. Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah, pox on both your houses. Anyway, uh, the audio is a bit weird. A bit weird audio. Uh, apologies if it gets a bit strange and... Um, uh, like, someone's voice will sound like they're just can barely connecting through the internet and stuff like that, and it was all a bit weird, but I, that's, I've done the best I can, I've smoothed everything out, and it, it should be okay to at least a listenable level. But it's good because, luckily, this is one of the most interesting podcasts we've had in terms of the content and the talking, so everything's fine, everything's fine, don't worry about it. It's a great podcast about movies. Uh, enjoy! Welcome to Trashback Ratio, episode 11. I am Jackson Tyler with Destiny Sturdevant. Hello. Kyle Turner. Hello. And Matthew Marco. Hi. Hi. Hey, how's everyone doing? How you been? What's going on? We're all right. Ready to talk about some movies. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Anyone I'm doing seen... pretty... Oh, Kyle? Uh, I was just going to say I'm doing all right. I made a very big transition in my life, and it's going pretty well. What's going on? You don't have to get into oh, that. Oh, uh, well, um, well, I moved from Connecticut to uh, the small town in Connecticut to an even smaller town in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm living in, in Provincetown, Massachusetts um, for oh, the summer. cool. Which is like Queer Mecca. Yeah. That's what I, I hear. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm enjoying. It's super white, but other but than that, that I'm it's a little okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Glad you're having a good time. Have you seen any movies yeah. though? That's the real question. I I did see a movie, but I don't want to talk about it. Well, okay. That, that's I saw a far, far, I saw a Far from the Madding Crowd, but I don't have any feelings about it whatsoever. Here's my feeling. <laughs> That's my opinion of Far From Madding Crowd. I read that entire book. I read that entire book and I hate it so much. You read an entire book? (laughs) Oh my gosh. You You should be congratulated. Yeah. Why do I keep you people around? (laughs) (laughs) But no, I did that book for like some thing and some year and it was one of the worst books I've ever read. So good job. Why? Because it's terrible. Have you, That's have you... helpful. Ah, oh, man. No, it's just, like, I don't want to hear a British man from the early 1800s go, it was so much better before. Like, it's it's that it's the same thing that is gross and bad now, but in the context of 200 years ago, so. 
That's this is my wow. summation of Far From the Madden Crowd. I've never read the book, but what the one thing that I do find interesting about the film is that it's directed it's directed by Thomas Vinterberg. And he and Lars Montier were the people who pioneered the Dogma 95 in Denmark, which was a very um, naturalistic, verite style. Um, and they've, they've kind of distanced themselves from it and gone to work on things that are more evocative of romanticism. Like Thomas Hardy is from the romantic period in terms of English literature. And... Um, melancholia is overtly um, evocative of German romanticism, so I think that's kind of interesting. But other than that, I don't have any feelings about the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought Dogma 95 was supposed to be a joke. That's what I thought. It, I mean, it is a joke, but nonetheless, it is still counts as a movement, which, people, which some people took seriously. Okay. Because I know a lot of people that were part of its founding didn't actually make any movies... Uh, that, you know, fit any of the criteria. Uh, but anyway, okay, well, far from the maddening crowd. Thomas Vinterberg made, uh, yeah, Thomas Vinterberg made The Celebration, which is the te- first technical Dogma 95 film with that um, certificate. And then Lies Montreal's The Idiots was the second one. And then other people like Harmony Kareen and Suzanne Beer did um, Dogma 95 stuff. Okay. It's cool. cool. Uh, has anyone else seen anything cool? I rewatched uh, Return of the Jedi. No, you didn't. No, no, Empire Strikes Back. Sorry. I, uh, are we holding off having the big Star Wars talk on here until we you've seen all the Star Wars? I mean, we can just mention that we saw it. I guess. Okay. Yeah. I guess what that. Empire Strikes Back is beautiful. If you can watch the despecialized edition, it is Blu-ray quality, but better. Because it's not full of bullshit. Oh Watch my God. that. The the version that's full of bullshit is so full of bullshit. Don't... I don't think it matters one way or the other. I definitely it definitely do, matters. You know? Like even if you don't care about the additions, if you look at screenshot comparisons, the Blu-ray release of that movie is so badly color corrected that I would never watch that version. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it, I think that the color correction, I think, would matter. Um, so I, someone said that they would Dropbox that to me, so I'm waiting on that from someone. Yep. Not from any of you, mind you, but... Yeah, no. it's, it's really good. That, that's Star Wars. Oh, I think Return of the Jedi is a terrible movie. I thought that until I rewatched it. I was wrong. I need to rewatch it. I don't know why I Freudian slipped and said that uh, I watched it. <laughs> I meant I meant Empire Strikes Back. That's okay. Excuse moi You're excused. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what did I watch? I feel like I watched a bunch of movies and haven't watched any in the last like week or so. I watched I watched that Mad Max. I watched all the Mad Maxes. So ask me anything about Mad Max. Yes. Yeah, I Mad know. Max was pretty good. Mad Max was I have not good. seen any of the other ones, They're but nothing, I love not Fury even Road. A little, not even a little bit like Fury Road. It is so <laughs> completely having nothing to do with the ones before it in kind of a beautiful way. It's great. That's pretty great. Uh, like, the... The, <clears throat> the bit where it's referencing... Sometimes I cry about how good Fury Road is. <laughs> <laughs> I cry at Fury Road. I... At the end, there's a moment where I tear up in Free Road. Not that much, but a little bit. Get hit. I me. wish I had a chance to see it twice. I'm lo- uh, jealous that you guys have seen it multiple times. Isn't that what you were implying? 
Uh-huh. Was it me? Yeah, you, you saw it twice. I know you did. Yep, I saw it twice. Uh, and on... then, did Kyle see it twice? I only saw it once, but I would see it twice. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, 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 holds, up, it holds up second time, unsurprisingly. Uh, my, I, I, this will only matter to the people not on the Skype call, because Mad Max, you haven't seen any of them. Uh, Mad Max 1 is my favorite of the first three. Apparently, this is a controversial opinion. Okay, moving on. Uh, oh, I didn't know that either. Having never seen it, I guess I can't really. Mad Max Two was held up as have like, an opinion. Yeah, Mad Max Two is held up as like the perfect Mad Max film. That's the one with Tina Turner. Nope, that's Mad Max Three. Oh, whoops. That one's like held up that's as Thunderdome. Yeah, that people talk about that one as a joke, as if it's bad. But the first half of that is kind of my favorite Mad Max movie, but they don't commit with the second half, so... Because it just turns into weird cartoon 80s Star Trek. Which will make more sense once you've watched it, because I know that doesn't make any sense now, knowing what you know about Mad Max. Nope. Uh, But yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I saw Big Trouble in Little China for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. What'd you think? I love that movie. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's really good. I, I, I'm <laughs> delighted by it. It's so goofy. I love how like a cartoon Kurt Russell is in every shot. It's very true. He doesn't look like a human man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also his clothes, which are like way too small for him, but in a way that not... I don't know, there's something about his wardrobe and design of that movie that just makes him the goofiest kind of ridiculous masculine hero, but it's not like super, I'm a strong man, I'll beat you up guy. Like, he's way cooler than that. Uh, it's, a, it's a good movie. I, I enjoyed yeah, it. But also, he is just he is just constantly mocked. Yeah. No, like, yeah. The fact that he is like so inefficient, like, I love the, how'd you get up there? When... <laughs> The guy just, like, is up in the ceiling. He's like, wasn't easy. Oh, it's my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. And the bit where he uh, shoots the ceiling and just knocks him out. Oh, so good. It's, a great, it's a great movie. Hey, John Carpenter makes pretty good movies, I've learned. You, so. you, Kyle? Huh? What? Are we still talking about Fury Road? No. No, start talking about Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, okay. Never mind. There's a lag on my phone. Oh, yeah. No. I have not seen that. You should. It's a good time. I hear they're they're gonna remake it with The Rock, and that's weird. But whatever. I don't have super strong feelings about it. It's just weird. I gotta see who they're gonna get to direct. I don't know why you remake need, that movie. I need to see it. Like, I don't know what what you gain by remaking it. Uh, but I'll watch The Rock in most things, except San Andreas. I'm not going to see that. I would watch him in that. I like The Rock enough to watch him in just about anything. Uh, He's so charming. He is. He is. That's not... You're not wrong. <laughs> Has anyone else got any movies? Mm, have I seen anything else? I really can't think of anything else I've watched. Well, this is going to be a short podcast then. Oh, I saw X, I saw X Machina. Oh, what do you think? I never got to that when it was here. Um, I thought it was like a very exquisitely presented game. It would make a very good stage play, someone pointed out. Um, 
I like some of it I find to be very transparent, but I think like a lot of the exposition is actually sold very, very well, um, which I think is due mostly to Dom Hogleason and Oscar Isaac. Um, I'm still kind of, I've still been parsing out its gender politics, but um, I think if I had the energy lately, I would totally write an essay about um, gender performativity and Judith Butler and Ex Machina. But it is, it, it's gorgeous to look at and it is totally predictable, but but it is very fun to watch nonetheless. It's very engaging. That's cool. I, I wanted to see it, but I didn't. I never got. To, it was here in January or something. We we had it for a while, and I never I never got the chance to go actually watch it. But I'm glad it sounds good. People. Seem Why'd to you miss it? Because I'm not made of money. Because <laughs> he saw oh, the Avengers I, twice. Sorry. Oh fuck or off! Yeah. <laughs> You saw the Avengers twice? Why? Back off! Because <laughs> the first time I saw it, like I had a really terrible time at the cinema and people were being shitty to me and I was like having a panic attack. Uh, so I didn't... Like I came out kind of hating the movie, but didn't know... Because you saw Age of Ultron. I know you're... I'm trying to s- tell a thing here if we could all back up for two seconds. No, because mm-hmm. I, I came out of that movie having a really bad experience, and I wanted to actually see it properly, uh, in an, a, like, and make note of what my criticisms actually were, and I did, and it was helpful. So, screw you all. I didn't say nothing. Okay, screw all of you, but Destiny. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. No problem. <laughs> uh, if no one, I would never subject myself to that a second time. We know you we didn't know. like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if no one else has any movies, we can get into this month's movie club and just bash on with a short episode. Let's do it. All right. Who chose the movie and why to choose it? My name is Kyle, and I chose the movie today. Um... Today we watch for t- for today's episode. We watched Celine Sciamma's *Girlhood* or *Banda Feel*, which actually translates as um, "girl gang," I think. I mean, but yeah. it is about uh, a young woman of color um, in contemporary France, uh, kind of in a more um, metropolitan area, I guess. Or is urban in- politically incorrect? I mean, she's in an urban area of France, so I guess not. It wasn't uh, more until urban. you said that. Go on, go on. Okay, so a young woman of color um, in a more metropolitan slash urban area of France um, joins this this gang of other girls and... She, she uses it essentially to, to find some sort of um, validation herself because she, she seems to be more introverted, a little bit of a loner, I guess. Um, and she almost seems to use them as a form of validation or self-actualization. But she, as the film goes on, starts to realize that um, she might not actually be much happier in this particular dynamic. But um, I, the reason why I chose this film um, was because it is such a breath of fresh air in a very male white male dominated film industry um and also 
the I, I also chose it specifically so I could make fun of Richard Linklater's boyhood. And a lot of people get mad at me for that, but I don't care. Although its original title translates as uh, Girl Gang or, or Band of Girls, um, she, uh, the American title that Strand releasing shows was Girlhood as a reply to Richard Linklater's film. And I think it actually makes a lot of sense, although the films are very formally different and about different people. I think if Boyhood posits that it wants to be about these singular moments in someone's life and how they end up impacting them as a whole, I think it fails on so many levels because it takes these very mundane moments and doesn't actually show that buildup. Whereas Girlhood does do that. It doesn't take over, it plays over a period of 12 years by any means, but it does have these very singular moments in this particular young woman's life who is uh, a young woman of color as opposed to a white boy who, who is middle class and I don't care about him at all. Um, <laughs> it does take these moments and show kind of that mounting progression of emotion of, of what it's like to be that person and what those moments mean to that person and what those moments mean to the audience. Like my favorite sequence probably this year will be when the, the bunch of girls are in a hotel room, they're smoking and they're drinking Coca-Cola and ordering fast food and room service and whatnot. And all of a sudden it smash cuts to one of them lip syncing Rihanna's diamonds. And then the protagonist, whose name I do not remember. Very is sta- Yes. Thank you. She is sitting off to the side, just watching them, not totally a part of them yet. And finally she joins in and it's just this really raucous, joyous and ebullient sequence. And I think that really, really um, is able to, to, pinpoint what this film can be about can i interject yeah yeah i don't like that it's titled girlhood i I think that sets it up to be something that it does like it's it's too much about like being provocative and not actually what the film i think is about but that's that being said i did i never saw boyhood so maybe i'm off I'm in two minds about it because, on the one hand, it like reduces this film to a reply, which uh, right, and I don't think that isn't is... at all. It's clearly its own right. thing. It clearly has things to say, and it says them really well. Uh, but on the other hand, if you do consider it as a reply or a response to Boyhood, it is the best film that could have been chosen for that because Boyhood paints itself with this film about broad, universal moments, but by doing so, completely shoots itself in the foot with any actual character mm-hmm. work and just works on iconography whereas girlhood is a film intimately about the specificity of its characters and its situation right, right. uh i think it can be both it can be both but no I, I i agree with destiny's perspective that by positioning it as like a conversation with boyhood one it elevates boyhood to a level of credit i don't want to give it two it takes away from just this film standing on its own as work and it didn't this, I mean, I don't know anything about the production of this movie, but yeah, it seems like it, it was called that as an afterthought, and it almost was like a gimmick. Oh yeah, afterthought. And yeah, and I don't think the movie is, like, if you saw this movie because of its title and you expected it to, I, I just don't think it's fair to the actual movie. Why, do you know why, like, who made the decision to call it Girlhood in America? I don't know. No. I assume it was the like Kyle the releasing people. Yeah, Strand, I believe Strand. it's the distributor. Yeah, yeah. And I read that she picked black girls specifically because she was 
um, alarmed at the lack of uh, teen black woman representation, uh, or excuse me, black girls, uh, teens, and how they weren't really shown on television in France, even though, you know, obviously, like, they're a large demographic. And uh, so I really appreciate that kind of, like, well, I'm just going to do this because I didn't see enough of it. Because you don't see a lot of that here either, or at least done in a way that it is more than, like, stereotypes. or Like, it shows the complexity of being a kid and, like not quite knowing your identity and using your friends as your identity and then like using your family as your identity and then like what happens when or and your society as your identity and then like what happens when that all kind of falls away um i really like the movie i don't like the last 20 minutes but we can all talk about that after everybody kind of gives their opinion Mm -hmm. uh matt what's your initial opinion then we'll get into talking about the film properly and have like a moratorium of mentioning boyhood i mean i tend to agree that positioning it this way is a really poor choice Mm -hmm. Uh, i would just call it band uh in general going forward because like it there is a subset of movies where this is you know where the friend or the foreign film title takes precedence because everyone's forgotten about the uh, American one, and I hope that that's the case with this movie 20, 30 years from now, mm-hmm. uh, that it is just Band of Fee. Because then it becomes, like, a riff instead on, like, Band Apart, and, like, is instead, like, a vibrancy of French cinema alive and adapted to 2015 as opposed to responding to the movie du jour. And there's been a lot of ink written about Boyhood, but uh, I don't imagine it's going to have any at least, power. Yeah, for, yeah, given how middling all of that ink is, that it's going to be a movie that's remembered as part of a cinematic canon mm-hmm. in several decades. That's what I. That's what I assume. But like, what did you think of uh, Band of Fear as? A, I'm a sorry movie? for positioning oh. that way. No, it's it's perfectly. No, fine. wasn't Conver- you? No, it's it's perfectly fine. It's like a conversation you're gonna have when it had that title. But I think we should at some point like separate that conversation from the conversation about the film. Um. Yeah. No. Right, I, right. My annoyance is with American distributors or Western distributors for naming it that. Yeah. Um. The movie itself, I enjoy quite a bit. I think as a story about identity seeking um the exploration of it is really nuanced and there's like it's a movie that is much more about its subtext than like its actual plot which is fun but like generally only vaguely touches upon its themes and that means that you have a movie where like everything's on the actors actually acting and emoting the Mm -hmm. subtext and i it's like this movie is amazingly well acted uh Watching it a second time, like I was like, oh, I'm just gonna only like kind of half watch it because I've seen it before and found myself watching whole sequences because they're great. Yeah, like, I so like this movie a lot. It's really good. So much happens just in expressions of people, like, not even what they do, like their eyes uh, conveying half of the subtext of the entire film. Because mm, it's actually writing. Um, outside of the uh, like the girl gang going around and doing stuff. It's actually a very quiet, still movie. There's a lot of people sitting kind of there. sitting yeah. and trying to figure their life out or waiting for things to happen outside of their control in their life. Uh, and so, yeah, it is all on, especially Vic, the, uh, the main girl. Yeah. Cause like the, the sequence that would be in another movie, like the montage uh, of initiating my life is just one shot of her at the sink standing there. 
and the way she's lit and the way the music kicks in all of that is conveyed in this still moment and still image rather than a, like a series of events that get you to the next plot point because it just cuts from that to hey this is uh, the new uh, Maryam in the next morning yeah she's now Vic she's now let her braids down she's wearing the leather jacket she's got the little jeans on mm-hmm. And she's also, you know, become kind of a class bully. Well, she's she's done with school, so she's bullying her old classmates and trying to, like, make a place for herself in their little group. Mm-hmm. And in the group... Um, oh, go on. Sorry. Uh, one of the things I think can't be ignored in this movie is uh, the uh, filmmaker, uh, Selene Scalma, uh, made a prior movie, uh, Tomboy. I haven't seen Water Lilies, but Tomboy is about a girl who tries to pass herself off as a boy and can be seen as a trans narrative. It gets into, like, whether or not it can be read that way is uh, maybe a cultural argument more than, like, a gender one. But uh, I, I like that girlhood is so much about the performimity of gender as, like, she is kind of... Like, it's painted her initially as, like, this jock girl, because it starts with them playing football, and then she, you know, fems up when she joins the gang, and then when she leaves, she goes in the opposite direction and tries to butch up and is, like, wrapping her chest, and all that stuff is in there, and, like, kind of just, uh, like, almost uncommented on, aside from the the chest binding, Mm -hmm. but is just part of this character's trying to identify herself. Uh, The potential queerness of the narrative of this, I think, uh, is definitely there and worth looking at. Oh, definitely. Like, the scene where she slow dances with that woman yeah. and the drug dealer guy, like, totally interrupts it. And it's like, she got away from, yeah. you know, guys uh, dictating her life. Uh, then she meets this boy who doesn't even, you know, like, her boyfriend doesn't try to tell her what to do but then when he calls her out for the chest binding you know they, they kind of more or less break up and then she gets in that situation where the drug dealer confronts her and she's dancing with that woman and I, I don't know I think there is a lot of queerness going on but she's she's definitely trying on a lot of hats but it's very naturalistic it's very like I don't know it doesn't feel like something that would only happen in a movie that's fair and that's what i like the most about this movie like every scene up until probably she leaves home reminds me of like thing people i know and things that have happened to people i know if not myself and it all just it feels so realistic i agree with that like it was yeah it was up until uh she what's the when what's the transition there because it's she sleeps with uh, her boyfriend and her oh, brother and she who's, get, like, yeah. the lead of this weird gang, and everybody's, like, afraid of him. He kind of... Doesn't he beat her up? Yep, he beats her up. Yeah, it looks it looks like that they have a very abusive relationship at home. Oh, yeah. They definitely... The most, like, the most terrifying scene in their entire relationship, I think, is the one where she comes home and he's nice to her, and they play, uh, like, FIFA together. Um, mm-hmm. that ah that scene mm-hmm. hit me. I, I I love that scene like because it uh, touches on one the like um, the validity in 
like the the fact that if you're in an abusive situation at home, the nice moments still like affect you and they still kind of hit you, and that that leads to even more complications in, in how you see this person and how you see yourself and see your family, and uh, that that scene really hit hard. Mm-hmm. That actually, um, that actually, if I can connect this to Mommy for a moment, um, watching it, the Mommy, the Dolan film, the first time, I was kind of um, um. I had a very non-committal response to it. But the second time, knowing the ending um, made the nice moments that Steve and his mother have, Diane, so much more powerful and very reminiscent of this these infrequent nice moments that I had with my own mother um, past the age of like 15 or 16. Because those those you want to grasp onto those moments, but you know that they are very transient and that they're going mm-hmm. to disappear like that. Yeah. But, yeah, no, uh, and... I... D- like, I don't know how... Mm, what am I trying to say? Like, the... What Destiny was saying about how much it reminded you of things you know and have seen in your own life, because I, I don't actually know anything about, like, this... Uh, culture is portraying in France, but I feel like it was very similar to a lot of stuff. Like, like the way the teenagers interacted with each other was similar to certain people I knew uh, and certain like uh, folks that I used to hang out with. And I didn't know how much of that was like deliberate because I, I didn't think this film was purposely structured to invite people. In like it, it was like I said, it was about the specificity of her own situation. I'm rambling. Someone interrupt me, please. <laughs> well, uh, I guess I could try. I was like, ah, oh, well, so I've completely lost the point. Ten minutes ago, ah, yeah, I, yeah, um, well, what was I gonna say? Okay, we were talking about the brother. Well, she, we, we talked about how she left because essentially yeah. she was shunned for having sex, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the whole neighborhood has this weird like slut shaming even like repressive sort of attitude about that sort of thing and how her bro- the only time her brother shows her respect is when she beats up another girl and shames the other girl cuz like the winner of the fight is the person that gets the other person's shirt off and makes sure that you know mm-hmm. there's video of it uh so that's like a thing so she's pretty essentially you know when she leaves home this weird drug dealer guy who knows her brother takes her in she starts selling drugs for him and that's where the movie falls apart for me because it stops like the camaraderie of the girl gang is gone which is awful because like they're such vibrant fun characters and you can tell she she finds a family in them and they all stand for like they all stand up for each other even when they fight um she like fought that girl because she she wasn't doing it for her brother's respect she was doing it for lady the um i guess she's the leader of the gang mm, i and don't think that's true you don't think lady's the leader oh no lady's the leader because there's that scene afterward where she's like i did this for you and lady's like no you didn't but then she hugs her immediately after yeah but it's when she like admits to lady that this is like she's doing it because she wants like she's the, her relationship between her and Lady isn't like a, a totally equal one. Like they love each other, but uh, Marianne sees what she wants to be in Lady as well. Well, yeah, but I also think that that shows a love between them. Oh, it, it does. I don't think it like uh, undermines what their relationship is, but it does change the context of what her motivations in that scene are. 
I don't know. I think she. Mo- I think she mostly did it one because she wanted to be more like Lady, and mm-hmm. two, she was angry what that did to Lady because she had to get her hair cut and it kind of stripped her of some of her strength. And as someone who was empowered, like Lady was the one who empowered her. Like she gave her her name. Uh, she nicknamed Vic. She gave her the necklace. She pretty much brought her in and showed her how to like told her to like enjoy her life outside of home and mm-hmm. taught her how to kind of like passive aggressively stand up to her brother and so when she says like i did this for you i believe her even if it is sort of a like she does have sort of it's a blurry intent i'll give you that but i don't believe that she is completely uh thinking of herself at that time because oh, the no. whole time she's upset about it she's thinking about lady mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so she when she leaves, all of that is gone, and the movie kind of loses its warmth, and it becomes a little more, I don't know, it almost felt like, well, okay, upon first viewing, it felt like moralizing, but now I feel like it's not that she's necessarily saying, like, it's a bad thing that Vic, you know left home and is now dealing drugs because I think Vic is still trying to find herself so it's not necessarily something that can be judged I just don't think that part of the movie holds up as well as the first half I think it's I, I would agree with you oh, Kyle, go. I would agree with you um, on both counts because I did I do start to kind of lose interest and become less engaged with the characters because the characters are kind of gone um, what I, I do appreciate that it is following one person's journey of in terms of identity but i don't think it necessarily works very well i am however very appreciative again um of the ambiguous ending it just kind of ends semi-abruptly and you don't know where she's going and i i appreciate that there is that kind of um uncertainty in her future as there is with most young people's future Especially with regards to finding their identity, with regards to projecting onto their friends or onto their family or onto their drug dealer. I don't have one of those yet, but. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where I, I read the ending as sort of she she mourns her wasted time, like not being herself, even though she like learned a lot and. Uh, obviously, like it helped her through a lot of hard times, but now that she has to be herself, she doesn't really have anything. So I don't necessarily see it as a happy ending, but it's definitely like you can kind of write your own fantasy for her as to where she ends up when you know after the film ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the thing with the ending that I uh, either didn't get or thought could have been uh, handled better is that. Like, she goes back to... I assume that she's cooling Lady's apartment, right? That was the implication. That was Lady's I thought it was her home. Or was it her home? Yeah, where her mom lived. Oh. I thought it is that, definitely her home. Okay. I thought that that was her wanting to go back to those girls and saying and deciding against that, not wanting oh, to Oh, no, home. that was her mother. That was definitely her mother. Okay, well that changes everything. <laughs> Do you need some time to think about it now? <laughs> well, no, but it may, it may, it makes the ending make more sense because uh, to me, I was reading that entire ending as um, her like wanting to go back to the time, this like perfect time in her life, but then realizing that 
she had moved on from it and you couldn't go back to it rather than her wanting to go back all the way to the beginning before any of this journey and then deciding not to do that like that changed I, I okay i guess i read the ending completely wrong because I, I didn't realize that was what was happening <laughs> my bad <laughs> <laughs> that's all right that makes way more sense now <laughs> why we talk it out yeah so did everybody feel the same way about the second half of the movie or is it just uh the th- you know me and kyle and jackson Matt, what or? did you think about the back third well, I mean, I'm I'm with Destiny here. That's why I have not been speaking out much. Uh, in general, the one thing I think is interesting is if you look at this movie on, like, the trajectory of French cinema about these sorts of things, mm-hmm. the last third, like, if this was a Godard movie, <laughs> she would be hanging out with this prostitute, but then also become a prostitute and then randomly get shot in the street at the end. <laughs> uh, because that's how those movies work. Uh... And, and it veers, like close to the kind of tropes of like French new wave cinema and like in her, like going around with like her glamor wig and made up and like dealing drugs, like all of that's there. Um, and I wonder how much of that is like a conscious choice to evoke that sort of thing. And then it backs away from that as like an identity. Cause that's just its own type of falsehood. Even if it is like kind of downtrodden and like crime ridden, that's not like that narrative is also unreal in the same way that her like idealized, we're going to get this girl gang and we're going to have a dance party with like 20 of us in the street is like an unsustainable dream. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah, I, mean, I wanted the whole movie to be girls dancing and being joyous because <laughs> you rarely get happy black girls in movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, Matt, you said something about Fred. Sorry. I was no, go ahead. I... Matt, you said... Sorry. <laughs> Kyle, go. Go, go, go. Okay. Matt, you said something about French cinema. Um, have you seen um, Games of Love and Chance by Abdelatif Kashish? No, I should. Um, I personally found it very unpleasant to watch because it really popped my little um, liberal arts, middle class, primarily um, progressive bubble. Um uh-huh. Because I was watching all these young adults who were not um, as, I guess, who were not consciously engaged with the kind of dialogue or discourse about um, race and class and whatnot. So it was very unsettling to hear kind of the the overt sexism um, spoken from these young people's mouths, even though it's probably very realistic. I just was unexperienced with that because I live in a tiny, tiny bubble. That being said, I think it would be interesting to juxtapose Girl um, Bandefield against uh, Games of Love and Chance because it is also about um, young people who live in a much lower econ- economic um, place within France. Um, and it is about the dynamics of um, young girls and boys. It is very binary, but um, I, I think it would be interesting to consider the performativity of those films because all the while, um, while we're watching these young people kind of go through their various dramatic, melodramatic um, scenarios about who's with whom and whatnot, um, they are for their classroom um, performing the 
play the game of love and chance. I don't remember who it's by, but it's an old French play, uh, an old French comedy of errors, I believe, or manners. I don't remember. Yeah, so that was my thing. Cool. Watch it. Yeah, check that out. Anyone have any other girlhood band of feet thoughts? Hair! I'm really good at podcasting. Yeah. Um, I just, oh, I wish it had ended with the scene of them all just sleeping on that hotel bed before. Uh, Vic leaves. I would have that would have been a fine ending in my <laughs> eyes, <laughs> but that's okay uh, because I guess without that you couldn't have had the exploration of gender, and I really like that part of the movie. So maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I think the exploration of gender is throughout the movie. It doesn't. Ju- it becomes more explicit in the final twenty minutes, but yeah, it's there. It's always there. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. I just I don't know. Like that movie begins with a shot of uh, these girls. Uh, having a great time and then all of their joy being sucked out of these like watching shadowed predators of the men in the quad mm-hmm. and the the part of the joy she gets out of being able to be the person she is in the gang is that she can like hold her own with them and is sometimes seen as an equal and can like fulfill that role like it's more subtextual but i think yeah that's all there at the start i think okay i would have liked the ending as well because uh by going on for 20 minutes without the like um, those characters anymore, it decenters their role in her life. Which I know why you do that, but it begins with her needing them, and then it's strange that it doesn't end with her leaving them. Well, then with her just like starting out. Well, it, it, she new. she leaves them like 20 minutes before the end. Rather than just because you said it would that would have been a fa- fantastic final scene, them like lying on the bed and her just going. Mm. No, I just meant the part with them all just sleeping, and we know she's leaving, but we don't have to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just did. I didn't like any of the drug dealing stuff. I think it's fair that some of it's definitely moralizing. Like that's a fair criticism. Well, I don't know if that's just me reading into it or what the actual the actual intent of the filmmaker was. I don't know if it's fair to put that on her. Well, I think it's fair to say that the nuance of which it portrays the world of uh, drug dealing is far lesser than the nuance to which it affords the uh, still criminal acts she's performing with these girls. Because mm. it definitely portrays the drug dealing and the like, her prostitute friend or sex worker friend sorry like it, it says that word but like um it portrays that as a you're getting in with bad people thing uh in a way that it like even though she's been doing technically illegal stuff throughout the film well i mean it's different when you're a kid because a lot of people have like like not everybody because i didn't certainly but like that sort of mischievous adult Mm -hmm. or excuse me teenage phase where you're just kind of rebellious and you're doing crappy things like to me that's what makes the movie great in my eyes is like you see black girls doing these things that in any other circle that would get them you know kind of treated as criminals but then when she gets in with actual criminals it's like yeah compared to her old friends these people like what or what compared to her current friends her life with her old friends like that stuff was just petty and it really was um, but with this new group, it, 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 
the first time I saw the movie, it kind of felt like to me it was like, see what happens when you that, that start out point, one yeah. way, yeah, you go into another. But I don't know upon second viewing if that's what the movie's saying. I think I it's think more it's saying just that. saying there's nowhere for else there's nowhere mm-hmm. else for her to go because of the circumstances of just that life. Like mm-hmm. she, but I don't think the film necessarily judges it, and I think I was judging it. I so, don't think the film judges it at all. I think that it just a bit slow like compared to how on point everything up until that end section is it gets a bit messier in its execution of its story but it's clear the film is criticizing the structure of the world that she's been given mm-hmm. oh can i talk about sex work for a second yeah of course okay this is not relevant to um to bend to feel as in as much as that, but I totally forgot to mention a movie that I did see recently, and it's called Hot Girls Wanted, and it's terrible. Oh, I yeah, we both saw this. It's terrible. It's really it's not good. Like not not only is it incredibly sex negative, but it's also just poorly made. And the argument that it wants to to assert is so poorly structured and built up, and I don't understand. I don't understand how how people are are praising it because it just doesn't know how to use subtext at all or this idea of subtly and formally building your argument through images and sounds and voices and then when it does try to do that it 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 ends up portraying these a majority of the the sex workers that interviews um the the documentary interviews are very cognizant of the fact of of what they're doing and they seem to be very autonomous they seem to be um doing this of their own volition but but everything in the documentary wants to undermine that and mm-hmm. treat them as victims and and in and infantilize them and i hated it and i i just it is kind of infuriating how how um condescending the documentary is the, the scene that sums up that entire movie is uh when all the girls in the house that they focus on uh, are watching the interview with Bell Knox? Is it? I don't know the the um, yeah yeah sex the, work, Duke, the, the Duke the Duke point yeah uh, yeah huh. and the actual like the girls' reactions are really interesting and if they had just like the see if they had just filmed the scene they had been given with zero uh, um like putting it against the garbage narrative it would actually be super interesting and nuanced because these girls are reacting to this like rich person coming in and taking the credit for like oh it's an empowering thing and they're like well yeah we know but when's that going to come to us and that like the girls themselves are actually critiquing the um structures of capitalism and people forced autonomy on uh, forced lack of agency on them uh in a way that the movie never does but the movie is too busy trying to condescend them and paint them as victims that it never actually uses any of the nuance that comes from just these interesting people. It's a documentary that manages yeah, to have and interesting people also- and throw them away. Kyle? Yes. Yeah. I also hate how one of the uh, one of the girls who ends up um, exiting the industry does so because she's shamed out of it. Oh man, the scene with them on the couch with her mum? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so bad. You guys did really well by not watching this movie, by the way. Yeah. Apparently, like, my, so, like, a bunch of sex workers on my Twitter feed also seemed to watch this about the same time you guys did and <laughs> reacted with similar horror. What, you know, don't watch everything that shows up on Netflix, people. No, yeah. don't, I did, don't go blaming I did it. for watching it. I mean, you gotta, no, no, the, like... The reason- 
there's nothing wrong with wanting to watch something about sex work that claims to like look at like i don't you know you can't avoid like you sometimes you gotta know my reasons were to watch watching this were very petty actually because i had heard very negative things about it that it portrayed the sex work industry as uh, that it was essentially kind of a a pseudo rescuer movie um without any of the actual rescue um but an acquaintance of mine had posted about it she's like this movie's so powerful and triggering and i and coming from the the political perspective that i do i wanted to watch it so i could refute her opinion because i'm a bad person oh wait i totally stopped paying attention what were you saying (laughs) oh you were petty well i'll just say sorry shitty your mum. you said who do, who do you say that I was? I also no, asked. no. Just who did you see watching it, and who did you want? Whose opinion did you want to refute? And just just an acquaintance from oh, yeah. grade school had watched okay. it, and she was like, "This is the tragedy that tragedy that these girls had to live through." And then after watching it, I was like, "What tragedy? I mean, very little of it actually seemed to ex- to show the exploitation it wants to purport." Mm. I mean, it, it does, um, but I, it totally does show that it does. if you have the set of assumptions that the movie assumes you do, like, if you assume all kink to be abusive, if you assume uh, that uh, the boyfriend's feelings are more important than the girl's feelings, like, it plays on yeah, that. But like, it's, it's actually a really well-made movie for its shitty backwards audience that it is appealing to. Like, it's clear what it is I, perfectly made for the, what it wants to achieve. Just what it wants to achieve is awful. I don't think it's even well made in that in that sense, but I think what's really weird about the argument that it wants to posit is that everything that the girls say is is in direct antithesis to that because yeah. like um, at first the argument that that um, at first there's a conversation that's uh, that's being had with a Latina um, performer and she's talking about how. She doesn't like the the facial abuse scenes, mm-hmm. um, and it's it starts out as being as kind of catering to those expectations. Oh, it's abusive, et cetera, et cetera. But as the conversation goes on, she's very aware of what's being done, and she's not sorry about it. She says that. Um, at least it's not some other guy who's doing it to a real person. It's me performing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. The the like the, the tragedy of this documentary is that the people that they are filming are all incredibly interesting and articulate people with great things to say and interesting lives, and it throws that other way to just condescend to them and the audience. And it's it's bad. It's a bad film, but that's that's the hot girls wanted minute. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry for that digression. That's okay. It was interesting. Got a good talk. That's that's bad to fear. <laughs> Anyone? It's a good movie. And Hot Girls yeah. Wanted. And Hot Girls Wanted. Those don't don't see that movie. Don't see that one. <laughs> see the other one. They're both on Netflix. Choose the right movie. They're about different things. That, yep, they're about different things. And choose the one that I didn't choose. The one, choose the one I didn't take two thousand words of notes on. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why you took any notes. I was like half watching it in the background because I was grumpy. I was like, oh, grumpy, good. This is the hot one. That was the noise I made. That's my grumpy noise. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Well done, everyone. 
Yeah, we did it. Yeah, we, did it. we got there. It's time for the plug zone. Uh, who is going to plug first? I'm going to plug first. <laughs> uh, uh, I am. The host I, can't plug first. The host can't plug first. Oh, for fuck's sake! You can't even harass me on time. <laughs> you met you. I was waiting for you for about thirty seconds to jump in on me and tell me a that I hadn't plugged the movie no, for next month. No, I was going to let you. I was going to let you get enough rope to hang yourself. Aww. Uh, I was. I was. I was. The fact that you actually knew better is makes it worse. No, I was going to do it right at the end. I knew what I was doing, but I was expect. Oh, because we have to just stop this because <laughs> it is destroying everything. Uh, but it will do the plugs, and then we'll announce the movie. Uh... No, it, it it wasn't that you did the other thing first. Is that you as the host, you can't plug first. You plug last. Okay. Well, That's I said just... who wants to plug first, and then I'm... you pick someone. You don't wait for an answer. Okay. Next time we record a normal mapping, I am going to uh, get off in your grill about every hosting decision you make. I, I make as long. Hey, you're the one who dawdled for 15 seconds. <laughs> 15 seconds. Have some patience. Are you eight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna upgrade my heal ratio in our normal mapping to hitherto unforeseen levels. That's fine. I'm pretty sure I can meet the challenge. <laughs> I bet you could. That's the worst part. Uh, Matt, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me and Jackson and Destiny on abnormalmapping.com. It's a podcast about video games. Check it out on iTunes. Uh, check out our videos on the YouTube channel. Just search that. Uh, rate and review us. <laughs> no, that's a different <laughs> podcast. Wow. <laughs> we are going to talk about Tony uh, Hawk's Project host. 8 uh, next time. And that's going to be exciting, I guess, because Jackson's going to tell us why Tony Hawk is relevant. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, Kyle. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tyle Kerner, T-Y-L-E-K-U-R-N-E-R, because I'm a very creative person. Um, you can find most of my uh, writing writerly things at tilekerner.tumblr.com. I'm assistant editor at moviemezzanine.com. And I have an Indiegogo thing, campaign, that you should help me with. It's uh, I want to start a podcast project called Cinema Paradiso, and I want to talk to um, film journalists and film critics and film buffs um, uh, who are women, people of color, queer people, um, anyone else who is underrepresented within the film writing um, community and talk to them about their life, about their identity and how it intersects with film and how they do it and why film is important to them and their identity. Um, so yeah, um, hopefully uh, can we put a link on the page? Can sure we do that? Thing. Sure thing we can. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, I think it's a cool thing you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a thing that I want to do. Yeah. So, yep. That's me. Destiny. Hi, you can find me at BadlandGirls.com, and also I am at FridgeBuzz now on Twitter. And uh, Jackson and I are about to put out a podcast called The Goof Zone, so look up for that. Yep. Uh, we don't know what's happening with that yet, but it'll be happening soon. It'll be out there, though. Hopefully. We'll see. There we've recorded. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I am at HeadfallsOff on Twitter. Uh, I do abnormal mapping with Matt. I do this. And if you want to find anything I do, go to headfallsoff.com 
And if you want to subscribe to... If you listen to both this and Abnormal Mapping and you want to find the episode of the Goof Sermium <laughs> that we have recorded, well done. Uh, and you want to find the, <laughs> the episode uh, of the Goof Zone that we recorded, then subscribe to the podcast feed on that website or just search podcast-headfallsoff uh, on iTunes and you'll find it there. It's a combination of all the stuff. If you just want one nice clean feed. But that's the plugs... Let us take us out, as Matt tells us, what movie we're watching next month. Next month, we're going to watch Peter Weir's 1975 mystery drama, Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is a movie that Destiny has been telling me about ever since we knew each other. And I was like, we should finally just watch it. Because <laughs> she's, she's seen part of it, but not all of it. That's right. You, you were talking to me like, oh, this was this really long movie that I tried to watch all of one day, but I couldn't get through it all. And I looked up how long it is. It's 115 minutes. It felt really long. <laughs> okay, you know what it was? I figured it out. I literally watched it either after a breakup or I was in mourning or something weird where I was super, super sad. So the movie just felt really long and really sad. But I promise you, it isn't those things. <laughs> it was just my perception at the time. <laughs> So I'm hope I, I know now that I'm in a better place and I can get through it, <laughs> and I know you guys can too. I'm excited. It sounds really good. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with more Trash Back Ratio next. Ides. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>